Welcome to the Elevate podcast, brought to you by the Registered Master Builders. Each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us get the best from our businesses, our teams, and ourselves. I'm your host, Ryan Castle. We talk to experts, advocates, and business owners in the construction industry to share their knowledge, insights, and experiences to help you build a better business and enjoy a better life. Now let the business building begin. Hey Nick, welcome along to the Master Builders Elevate podcast. Great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Nick, can you start with a bit of background? You're a director at Iconic Construction. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your involvement at Master Builders and some of the awards you've won. But uh, give us some background. How did you end up in construction and what's been the journey at Iconic to this point? So, yeah, left school and um, thought I'd actually be an architect. So I went to architecture, uh, went to the Vic Beauty for um, a total of two weeks. Um, one of those was uh, O-Week. Didn't learn a whole lot in that week. And the second week I learned that um, there's people in this room are way too talented for me. So uh, quickly left there and uh, moved to the Waikato and became an apprentice builder there. Then back to Wellington a year later and started um, building sites down there and then yeah so qualified and eventually moved back to Hamilton and uh, started my own business here in 2009 Iconic Construction and uh, here we are some nearly 12 and a half years 13 and a half years later or whatever it is yeah yeah indeed and I'm, I'm sure there was some learnings in O-Week, maybe not a lot about architecture, but I'm sure you learned a couple of things. Yeah, one of the um, one of the interesting subjects that was first spoken about when I'm sitting in this room full of clever people was uh, they started talking about lintels, and I was really scratching my head at the, at the time. And uh, yeah, now I've got some idea of what a lintel is, um, but back then I did, it was probably the word that I remember from that, that was lintels, and it started with... 90% of you won't finish the course. So the next thing topic was, let's talk about lintels. And I was like, I'm done. I'm out. See you. Yeah. 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 It's not, a, not an inspiring way to uh, encourage people into architecture, is it? 90% yeah. you're not going to make it. Mm. Uh, maybe, maybe as a uh, reality was, was useful. Uh, yeah. Tell me when you, when found your first apprenticeship, was that uh, contact someone you already knew? How did you come across your apprenticeship opportunity? The first apprenticeship up in Hamilton was literally, uh, my mum got me an intro with someone and um, Hamilton was absolutely thriving at the time, so 2003. Yeah, becoming an apprentice probably wasn't um, too difficult. Yeah, it was quite interesting. That first year I worked for a company that was contracting to a group home builder. And so uh, as, a, as a brand new apprentice, I, th- I think in that first year we built somewhere around 30 houses, um, which consisted of about three or four different plans. And every time we turned up on the site, there's literally a concrete slab ready to go. So it was frames. I don't think I even did any jib fixing in that first year. So it was basically, it was very, you know, you were you were part of a production team at the end of the day. And then, yeah, essentially I missed, I missed my mates in Wellington and decided back back to the uh, back to where I'd grown up. And yeah, building in Wellington compared to Hamilton's just this chalk and cheese. So... Um, There's nothing flat in Wellington, is there? Uh, no, no. So I, I got a really good grounding from, from my first year in Hamilton in terms of just dealing with repetitive stuff, timber, you know, just real basics and and setting out and putting, putting structures together and, and the fact that you're doing it one after the other. Um, and by the time I got to Wellington, you know, I had all that skill set hopefully reasonably well honed and then it just became, how do we do this on the side of a cliff now? Yeah. Uh, some pretty impressive foundations you've been involved in, I'm sure. And Nick, tell me how far into your construction journey were you like, oh, I think I'd like to own my own business? Early to mid-2009. The real um, kicker by mine was I, I actually broken my I broke my leg playing rugby, so I couldn't be at work and I couldn't play footy. And 
um, sort of got me thinking a little bit. And within about yeah, within about three months, I I started a company. Well, formed a company, got found a name, and and then moved to somewhere where I knew nobody, which was probably an interesting move. Um, Interesting way to build your first uh, sales no, network. Yeah. Go somewhere where you don't know anyone. Go somewhere where you don't know anyone. It's good. Yeah, well, I did know one person. Unfortunately, that person then led to a job, and then that led to yeah, just through through connections through them, and 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 uh, yeah, managed to build a bit of a, a name, I guess, in Hamilton. So. And when you were starting the business, did you have a sense of the type of building you wanted to do? Did you want to do res commercial? You build residential, or were you like, "Hey, I'll, I'll do whatever, you know, bring some dollars in the door at the start." I was pretty fortunate with what we did um, with my previous employer in, in Wellington. So we we did anything from sort of you know, really big renovation work to um, um, reasonably high end new homes, um, light commercial work. So I was I was I'd sort of covered a lot of bases in there, and so I guess that's the that's what I took into my own business where I actually ended up landing for my first few jobs was um, renovating bars um, which was a bit of an eye-opener uh, but really really cool creative work um, and then funeral renovations within it I didn't actually um, build a new house until a good three to four years into my own business with those bars did you manage to get paid in money or did you get paid in beer or something uh, there's definitely a few um, beers involved during so you had to do a bar shout instead of a roof shout <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, just, uh, I mean the pressure around getting a bar open in time for uh, for an event or whatever is uh, you know there's plenty of plenty of heat on getting it open on the open day, um, but certainly the celebration after the doors are open are pretty good as well. Indeed, and the name Iconic Construction was that was that your brainchild? Call it Iconic, and, and why why named that way? Yeah, the name was something I I was I very much understand the concept behind someone naming their business after themselves, but I just for some reason thought um, no, I actually quite like a name that is versatile. It means it it can represent more than that one person, and so iconic was thought about, and and um, I I just really liked the how it rolls and, and sort of what it means. And I think I had my business for about seven years when, and there was this guy that I would play golf with every other every other week, an older boy in Hamilton, and he would always call me iconic. And it, it wasn't until about, you know, as I said, seven years down the track that I actually realized my name is in iconic. It is. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, and I like your uh, tagline that you associate with your uh, brand as well, saying, you know, it's good because it's iconic. Yeah. Uh, Works works well. And also, yeah, it was, it was uh, there the name the name part. It was by pure luck that my name even ended up there. I didn't even know it was in there. <laughs> there we go. You, you should you should change that story to say that uh, you blended them two two together and it was creative genius. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for being honest. <laughs> uh, and Nick, tell us how long have you been a Master Builders member, and you know, what was why did you want to join and become part of Master Builders? We must have been with them for uh, good five years now, five or six years, I think. Initially, I was elsewhere, and uh, that didn't seem to have quite the community around what I expected. Whereas, um, I, when I when I started looking into the master builders a bit more, the the, the offerings of from the RSMs and all that was really really good. So there's a lot of support and behind it, and a lot of advice. You know, I'd be doing these fit outs as well on these bars and things, and thinking these are pretty cool. I'd like to be able to have somewhere where I can showcase that and and help represent the brand and. Um, yeah, um, master builders were essentially the place that the platform that it could be used as the builder to do that. So yeah, great. And uh, not only have you been a member, but uh, last year you were 
the Supreme House of the Year winner. Yeah. Congratulations on that. That's a uh, outstanding effort. I was uh, at the Auckland uh, Regional House of the Year event and was going, wow, there's just a lot of amazing uh, builds happening. So uh, for you to be the pick of the crop, well well done. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that build? How did the opportunity come about? What type of build was it? What are you most proud of from, from that uh, piece of construction? It came about from a good friend of mine um, selling sections, basically, and uh, a guy that was working for me at the time said, right, we should be buying a couple of these, and so we did, and um, and then basically sat on them for a really long time, and we used it as a bit of a chance to start working with a really reputable um, architect in Hamilton, who seemed to be really flourishing at the time. Um, did he know about lintels? He had some idea about lintels. Yes. Okay, good. Uh, is he stayed it, after week one. Yeah, they designed two houses for us. One had a, a lintel around the entire top frame. They worked on a couple of really good designs, and um, this particular project, I think it sat as a concept design for nearly two and a half years before we actually um, got moving on it. And both of these projects were just a chance uh, for us, for because well, being a an avid, you know, a, a very well trained two-week architect one of those weeks of the week um you know i quite like architecture um i quite like design um and so i really like the concept of getting stuck with an architect and designing something that we could then go and produce ourselves and just use as, as a as a spec house so it was never done on a cost control exercise it was literally like let's try and do something cool and creative and and really show showcase um what can be done for just a little bit more cost i guess yeah, so we managed to work our way through that, build the project, and and um, as it was being built, and the team that came around it in terms of the design interior designers as well, the house itself, when it was finished, it felt so much like a home. It wasn't like walking; it it was quite a quite a unique feeling walking through the front door of it um, as a completed house. Just how homely it felt. And is there a uh, other than the homeliness kind of feel? Is there a particular feature of the build that you you know springs to mind for you immediately you're like I, I love what we did there the whole thing was was designed on a very simple um brief so we wanted it to be very clean and there's a photo that was taken it's this straight on shot and it looks the house almost looks fake like it's too crisp and clean to be real and it's got this beautiful Waikato um sunset in the background and the hecromatas and behind it and it just showed everything about that house which is kind of exactly what it was meant to be which is this very simple but very warm and and welcoming feel to it. And we'll put a uh, link to that build in the show notes so if people are interested to go and have a look at the design and what you've managed to create there, we'll put that in there so they can uh, follow that. Now, I understand you've got a uh, interesting UAH kind of build underway. Uh, what are you doing? You're, you're building a house using your uh, brother printer at home? Is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just um, heaps of plastic involved and uh, printing ink. No, so um, it is uh, a childcare that we're building, and again, development for Iconic itself, originally designed with precast panels and steel and lots of glass and a couple of um, cedar-cleared walls. I ended up bumping into a guy one day at, at, at uh, Pawanui Airfield and got chatting to him, and after a couple of discussions, we ended up down at his factory in Hamilton, and then uh, liked what we saw, so we ended up changing the precast walls 
to 3D printed concrete walls. Yeah, childcare is the first commercial building in the Southern Hemisphere to use 3D printed concrete as part of its structure. And what's the benefit of moving to the 3D printed um, concrete rather than the precast panels? The speed wasn't a consideration at the time, but it was a bit of a, uh, you know, we realized how fast this thing can be once it's up and running. You know, we're down there watching the guys print our walls and there's literally a three meter high three meter wide wall coming out every hour there's then loaded onto a truck delivered to site and then a bunch of them delivered to site and so i think the total for all those walls was about seven days and that was from seeing turning up to, from nothing being there to being installed and ready to carry on building with on site and it's essentially completed inside and out so you know there's no more there's no cladding to do on the outside there's there, it was just it was so quick Unfortunately, at the time, we used it in its most simplest form, which was just straight lines. Um, but the, where, the, where the technology has huge advantage is things like curves or patterns and walls, you know, zero formwork involved with it. I think it's got a pretty bright future. As they're printing the uh, wall panel, is it smart enough that they can also leave space for cabling and pipe work and those kind of things as it's printed? Yeah, so essentially there's two cavities within the wall. One's a structural cavity, which is essentially, think of it as a direct replacement for masonry block. So you just have starters coming out of the ground, the wall drops over it, um, there's steel added to it and the whole thing gets filled with concrete. The other, cavi- the other cavity is just clear and that's to use for both insulation and um, and services to go down. Right. Um, yeah. And when, when you're doing the design, is it, uh, for example, for those services going in, is it uh, put into the 3D model where those services are going to go or is it literally, hey, we just leave a blank cavity and then we've got space to do whatever we yeah, so it's installed as a blank cavity, and then and then you guys doing their bits just feed it down through the through the inside of the walls. Um, that they're going through a fairly significant change of design of of those walls at the moment and how they work, and there'll be a lot more room to play with, and considerably less cost involved with it. So yeah, it's quite it's quite cool sitting, you know, being a part of that business, I guess, and um, watching it how it's evolving over even over the last years. And what's your prediction for the use of this technology going forward in both residential and commercial applications? I think it definitely has a place. The speed alone of the process, I guess, is pretty phenomenal. So, um, you know, at, at the moment, it would appear it's probably a fraction dearer than than build model, I guess. But we ran a few scenarios through, through um, with a project manager and sort of looked at how fast it would be if we were to build a whole house versus a traditional timber frame that in the outside and we reckon we could shave it somewhere around anywhere from five to seven weeks off a build. So while it's dearer to actually purchase your, you know, your interest cost at the end of the build and the time and all that is just significantly faster. The beauty of it as well is like generation one of concrete printing. So, you know, it can only get better and better from where it currently is compared to in theory, our construction should be our construction sector should be as efficient as it ever was because it's well, it's got so much experience involved in it. And what kind of skills have your team had to learn so that they could adapt to using this new approach? There's nothing that um, scary about it at all. Like for how we used it, it's, it's essentially a direct replacement for masonry blocks. So um, you know the floor setouts where sort of carry on still need to be the same. Really nice level, um, you know, level floors that. I guess that was one of the things that we really had to make sure is because you're dealing in, in such big panels versus, you know, blocks being smaller in size, you had to make sure everything was really spot on. 
and because was it a really good job and, and it, it was and we were you know we would essentially have this 10 square meters standing in 20 minutes every 20 minutes there'd be another 10 square meters added on and added on and like it was just ridiculous work Incredible. yeah yeah uh, literally like uh, building lego at home but it's uh it's it's happening on a full-size scale yeah and i guess and you know um precast instruction they've been doing this sort of thing for years and years a significantly easier process so like our walls just sit on top of the finished floor there's no strip footing underneath it that you then tie in a footing tower into it or we did the whole thing with a hive no cranes uh oh, wow. one of our the finished walls that was on site was about it was just under two ton for one of the heavier walls so they're actually quite you know manageable yeah wow impressive and have you got additional builds already planned where you think you'll use this tech yeah so um we have a site next door to the childcare, which we're just working on what that is at the moment we've got a pretty cool design come through for it already i won't say too much about that because we need to get through a few other processes before we can announce that one but it is yeah we're trying to use as much 3d printing in there as we can we had a another spec house that we were looking at doing um which we would have entered into into the next round of um builds um we put the, put a hold on that last year which was it was essentially entirely brick but now we're looking at actually changing into 3d printing and but having the exact same design but 3d print it instead of timber frame and brick um so yeah we've got a, we've got definitely a few things in the pipeline for it and if you used it in a residential context, would you still be just having that kind of finished concrete inside of the building or would you have to jib over the top or something? There's a wall design that Corox uh, are working on at the moment where essentially we get rid of some features, they're like seams, I guess. So it makes the inside walls a whole lot cleaner. And the idea is that, yeah, there is no jib required, basically. You plonk one of these things on site, it's your exterior cladding, your interior lining, uh, done. Again, working with these guys at Quarox, we've done uh, a little bit of modelling and looking at, say, let's say, a 150-square-metre house, single, single story on a nice flat, good access site. There's sort of a thought that maybe from pad down it'd be about a week to install the panels the next week we could be putting a roof on and by the third week you'd have windows in within three weeks you'd be watertight exterior walls all done cleared like it's silly fast it has a lot of potential it's a lot of a lot of implications and, and mostly uh, positive ones right if we can i i wonder if it'll also um help as you know councils would need to catch up but whether it might also help with consenting process where they're really clear on the use of that 3d printing and it's kind of approved in advance if it might even speed that part of the process too. Yeah, I, I mean, we're working very closely with Corox all the time and they're working closely with councils and there's been absolutely zero negative feedback from councils so far. They're literally jumping on every second of it. They they, right. they lock this thing up and running as fast as, as it can be. Essentially, the way they work, the, the brands are praised, so there's a big tick yeah, straight away and it's it's based on a system that already exists so there's nothing new for, for council really to, to scratch your head too much on you don't need a pre-line inspection do you <laughs> no. no um and i guess you know your other your other massive advantage to this sort of construction is hot topic at the moment climate resilient housing the idea being that one of these houses should it flood you would probably replace the carpets and the furniture they've got damage and any cabinetry but the structure of the house is still absolutely sound you don't you're not ripping jib off walls to try and throw it out and yeah, so it's. I think it definitely is a a, a place. Just needs a big uh, plug hole on the corner somewhere so you can pull the plug up and let all the water out. It's that, yeah. And I saw Nick a question around: uh, Are you holding on to that childcare centre? So is that is that something you're going to operate? Uh, no, no, no. So there was an existing tenant there. They are staying on as the tenant. Not a business that we will we'll be running. Oh, I was going to be really interested to delve into that if you were uh, expanding the business into childcare as well. I thought the 
the apprentices might be getting cross-trained in quite a few different skills if they're going to be doing both childcare and construction. The, um, the, the idea actually came up a few years ago that maybe we need that because we had a number of dads, uh, soon to be dads, seem to be all at the same time. And so the concept was thrown around, you know, the idea of do we need our own internal childcare to look after everyone, at least everyone could be, you know, kids watching their dads at work. Nice, maybe uh, portable childcare is the thing, drop a, drop a container with the kids in so they can watch dad at work. That's uh, it. Move, move it on to the next site. Uh, good yeah. And tell me, Nick, when you look to the look to the future, um, what are you thinking about? What are you excited about for Iconic and, and construction? Uh, maybe some insight into how do you think your role as a as an owner and director of Iconic, do you think, how, do you think that will change over the coming um, decade future for iconic we're um you know we're we're working really really closely with this 3d printing stuff now we're the first regional partner of Quarox as they as they try and roll this technology out across across the whole country and that in itself you know to be the first of something i guess so we'll no doubt have its trials and challenges through there that's in itself is a really exciting concept to even grasp your head around right like so the first the first commercial 3d printed building in the southern hemisphere that you're dealing with first a lot and those first will slowly peter away into seconds and they will get better and better and we'll deal with new technology and so yeah i think um where iconic sits with that sort of knocking on its door i think that's that's really really exciting for me i'm i'm starting to get quite heavily involved with that side of things and um you know that's that that will, that will be our focus going forward is how we make the most of that advantage nice so a real innovation focus for the for the organisation as you go forward. Yeah, I mean innovation construction. It's it's, uh, it's something that you tend to as as the builder you tend to buy it in from innovative products, right? So this is something. This is an innovative technology that the that you're essentially getting your own hands on, and you can start trying to work that yourself. So now you're you're essentially almost in control of a lot of your supply chain because you're reliant on one material to produce a lot of what you do versus a bunch of different suppliers to put something together. Just so it feels like as an industry we need a solution to move past those. Uh, a friend of ours just done a new build. I was doing a bit of a walkthrough of their the house. Uh, it's not quite finished so you can still obviously see all the plasterboard and all the plastering that has to happen, all the sanding that has to happen. And you just go, there must be something more efficient for us to uh, build houses than having to go through this process every single time. Yeah, there's nothing, and nothing's really changed in construction, right? Like we're in the last in however many decades, things have got more efficient in terms of supply chain and, and and products, but we still take a horrific number of steps over a building site, which is actually the slow part, right? So we can we can make our project management software as efficient as possible. You still have to have someone walk over the site and do that. So the more we can, you know, speed that process up and have less steps over a site, it's just you know, makes things so much more efficient. Cost nice waste. Yeah, yeah. It's the other one of the other big beauties of this thing would be um, the waste factor out of one of these walls. If they've printed nearly fifty square meters for us in one hit, and out of that fifty square meters, they had about a ten liter bucket of concrete. And that was it. So it's a bit of waste out of producing that entire wall finished inside and out. It was a ten liter bucket of concrete, which could be crushed and put into somewhere else, make it into a concrete block facility. Sure. Uh, compared to a, a normal building site, we we would have uh, filled a quarter of a jumbo bin with uh, offcuts yeah. of plasterboard and yeah, fifty square uh, and not. Yeah, half a skip, hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Hey, that's really interesting. Nick, thank you for sharing those insights with us today. We we appreciate that. I think you've probably opened the thinking of a, of a number of people that have been listening to the to the podcast. Any uh, 
last comments or insights you'd like to share with the uh, crew before we wrap? Comments and insights. Look at twenty twenty. Something like Dalai Dalai Lamarish, you know, inspirational. Someone said the other day when I was uh, going, God, what what seems to be fighting fires all the time, and he said you should think those challenging moments as they come by because they only last for so long they never last forever and they, you'll learn a hell of a lot from them is that Dalai Lama enough for you? I, I think so that's pretty uh, pretty close I, I liked a uh, a version of that that I heard which is experience is what you get right after you need it yeah 100% yeah so similarly uh, similarly aligned but yeah I like that one hey thanks Nick appreciate you joining us on the podcast today you did